started just to start with a list. Maybe I'll do a little bit of it. We'll start with Susan and Katie and Carrie and Libby and Kelsey. A mom and dad who loved me and loved the Lord and made sure I went to church. A dad who taught me how to work hard. James and Kate and I could go on and on and on. Wonderful friends and family here, deacons, fellow members, Darren, a longtime friend, Carrie Kemp, a friend of mine from way back who helps hold me accountable. A roof over my head, a refrigerator full of food, a freezer full of uh, free-ranging organic meat. Amen. Uh, Breath and life. There's an old hymn that says, uh, Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. All of the the many blessings that I mentioned. And and as I said, you cannot count. If you pause long enough to think through the way that God has blessed you, you'll never be able to count them all. Every breath, every dollar in your pocket, every every sunny day and a beautiful family member, every relationship are gifts from a loving God. But none of those compare None of those compare to his grace poured out on us through his son, Jesus. Today, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together, and I'm going to couch it in a little bit of a different term than than I have before, because in in our uh, church language and our... our, uh, Our faith tradition, we tend to refer to it as the Lord's Supper or sometimes communion. But in about half of the other Protestant faith traditions and and among many Catholics, uh, it's referred to as a Eucharist. And you've heard that term uh, tossed about. The word Eucharist is uh, is a Latin word that comes from the Greek Eucharisteo, which means to give thanks. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper together here in a little while, we're going to partake of the the Eucharist and focus on what all we have to give thanks for. And there is nothing more that we have to give thanks for than the deliverance that we have that comes through the shed blood and broken body of Jesus our Savior. See, all of those names that I mentioned to begin with, Mom and Dad and, and, and Carrie and Kelsey and Libby and Katie, uh, they're all uh, on this earth. We're temporary. But thanks be to God's good grace. Thanks be to him. And, and the word Eucharist, if you break it down, it really does come. The root of Eucharist is charis, the word for grace. And, and there's a prefix attached to the front of that that means good. We give thanks because of God's good grace poured out upon us. That's part of the meaning of what we traditionally refer to as the Lord's Supper. 
We celebrate the good grace of God poured out upon us so that we can have hope and a future. Y'all know that Katie passed away 16 years ago, 17 years ago almost now. I'll see her again because of God's good grace. I'll see him again because of what Jesus did. See her again because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's why we celebrate. Today's text is going to come from Psalm 116. And it is one of the many psalms of thanksgiving, though it has a particular focus to it. And I want to begin, let's go ahead and read the psalm, and then we'll begin right smack in what I believe is the focal point of the psalm in the middle. The scripture says in Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to his name as long as I live. The ropes of death were around me and torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous and God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless, and he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, rescued me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe even when I said I am severely oppressed. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. How can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant, the son of your female servant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer you a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house within you, Jerusalem. Hallelujah. The passage is is an incredible celebration of all that God has done. And there's four key, there's one phrase that appears four times in this passage that I think is key, and that is this phrase, I will call on the name of the Lord. But that phrase is really an answer to the most, the pivotal question that you find in the middle of the psalm. In verse 12, the psalmist asks this question. I believe that everything he said before and everything he says after is in some way related to this question. How can I repay the Lord for all the good he's done for me? I think one of the greatest failures that we have, even as believers, is we begin to take God's good grace for granted. When we were first saved, when we first trusted Jesus as our Savior and we were transferred out of the kingdom of, of darkness into the kingdom of light, or as, as Jesus told Nicodemus, we were born again, or as Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians, we were given a new heart. When we first came to know Jesus as our Savior, we had a sense of gratitude that, that we had hope and we had a future. And periodically throughout life, there, there's things that we run up against and we, we are reminded of our mortality and we pause and we give thanks and we remember how valuable 
how, how precious God's deliverance of our soul is. But what tends to happen is we get away from those times and, and we've gotten further away from the loss of a loved one or we, we, we've gotten further away from our own salvation story or maybe we've gotten further away from the Lord and we begin to grow cold. And, and we begin to nitpick at where God hasn't blessed us. We begin to talk about what we've lost. We begin to, to uh, become sometimes frustrated and angry with God when we compare ourselves to others. And, and well, one of the verses in, in Count Your Many Blessings, in, in the third verse there, it, it actually mentions, you know, when you start looking at your neighbors who has fields of gold, <laughs> and you start wondering, you know, why hasn't God blessed me like that? Count your many blessings. But when we pause long enough to understand that without Christ, we're hopeless. We're without a future. This life is short. It begins to lose meaning. And we ask those questions, what happens after this? Without Christ, there is no life after death. When we pause long enough to realize that, and come back to the root of what we have to be grateful for, God's good grace. It changes our perspective. And so the author of this psalm says in verse 12, how can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? I believe he answers that with these four refrains. The first one, and so I've broken the message down into these four refrains. The first one is in verse 1 and 2. He says, I love the Lord because he's heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. Here the psalmist looks at the Lord and he says, one of the reasons I love the Lord and I will call out to him for as long as I live is because he hears me. We have a God who created the universe the God who created all of us, who's created right now on the face of this earth over 7 billion people. My brain can't even fathom that. The God's so mighty and so awesome and so powerful, and, and he's created a world, he's created an earth where all of those people have oxygen to breathe, they have food to eat, they have uh, a water to drink. God has created a life-sustaining planet, and above that, God has created the heavens uh, beyond our imagination. He's placed the earth in his perfect position as it orbits around the sun so that it doesn't go too slow or too fast, spins on its axis at just the right speed. God did all of that. He is an incredible, magnificent, majestic God. And yet, hear this, he hears me. He hears my prayer. He wants a relationship with me. I can't imagine. I, I, I can't keep up with, a, 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 you know, intimate relationships with more than four or five people, Right? Or building relationships across a church family or church body. God desires to walk in a relationship with each of us. He hears us. And because he listens to me, because he cares. It's the longest of the four, verses 3 through 11. The psalmist speaks of whether it was a very literal 
death left to live for. It may very well be that he had lost a friend or he'd come to grips with his own mortality. But he writes here in verse 3, the ropes of death were wrapped around me and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow and then I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. At some point, the psalmist came to a place where he understood that he could not save himself. That he was at the end of his rope. That if it were not for God's mercy and God's saving grace, it would be the end for him. For us to come to faith in Christ, every one of us has to come to that place in our spiritual life. We have to come to a place where we know that because of our sin, we're separated from God. Because of our sin, we are facing death. The wages of sin is death. And we have to come to that point where we cry out with the psalmist, I am overcome. I, I can't do anything about it. I can't save myself. Lord, save me. As we sat together about 10 days ago, and Martin and I talked about the gospel and Martin confessed that he knew that because of his sin he was separated from Christ, but he knew that he wanted Jesus to be his Lord. And, and the Lord had been at work in his life, and what a joy it was, I know for me, Martin, and for John, and I know it was for you, to finally come to that place where you just said, here I am, Lord, and turn it all over to him. At that moment, Scripture says the Lord saved you. He rescued you. The Lord is gracious and righteous, and our God is compassionate, he says in verse 5. The Lord guards the inexperienced. Another translation of this is, is, is the Lord takes care of fools. How many of us just feel like a fool sometimes, and we just need God's deliverance? The Lord takes care of those that are helpless. And the psalmist says, he saved me. When I was overcome, the psalmist writes, the Lord was with me. Whether we're overcome with, with the, the attacks from everything from around us or whether we're over, uh, overcome with our, our fears from within, he goes on to say, for Lord, you rescued me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He, he says, Lord, you rescued me. When we call upon the name of the Lord, when we know we're helpless, his promise is he'll be with us and he'll rescue us, and he'll guide us through. When I was helpless, the psalmist writes, he saved me. When I, when I was overwhelmed, he rescued me. When I was helpless, he saved me. And so what is my response to him? I will call upon the name of the Lord as long as I live. The, the third stanza, stanza it's found in verse 12. And at this point, the psalmist recognizes that he, he serves and he worships a God who hears him, who wants a relationship with him, who will be with him and guide him in times of trouble and will rescue him. And so then he, you see that middle uh, pivot point that we began with, verse 12, how can I repay the Lord for all that he's done for me? The psalmist says there's really only one thing I can do. I will take his cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. You know, here's the bottom line. And you may have been here with me. There's been times in my life where someone came to me and they offered me a gift out of their generosity that I knew I had not earned and I knew I, had not I did not deserve. And, and the human flesh sometimes pushes back at that, says, oh, I can't take that. 
I can't accept that from you. That's too much. I don't deserve that. But you really only have one choice. You can either look the person in the eye and say, thank you, and receive the gift, or you can reject it and do harm to that relationship. God has offered you a gift that is so rich, that is so beautiful, that is so meaningful. You really only have those two options. When he sent his son to die on a cross for you and I so that we could have hope of eternal life, Scripture says he offered us a gift of eternal life through Jesus' blood. Nothing that you can do to earn it. No, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. None of us deserve that incredible gift. So all, the only thing that we can do is look toward the Lord and accept his gift. The psalmist here says, take that cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So there's your third refrain. As he accepts this incredible gift, this cup of salvation from the Lord, he makes this vow, I will call upon the name of the Lord and I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. I will, the psalmist is saying, keep my commitments. The Lord has been faithful and gracious to me. I will keep my covenants to him. It goes back to what we talked about a few weeks ago in Malachi when God tells his people that one of the areas he was so frustrated with them was because they wouldn't keep their covenants. They wouldn't keep their promises. They, wouldn't keep the, they weren't keeping their marriage covenants they'd made before him. They weren't keeping their commitments to his people that they had made before him. And, and here the psalmist is saying, when I look to the Lord in gratitude, with thanksgiving in my heart for the, for the incredible blessing that he's given me, he's, he's delivered me, he's offered me his cup of salvation, all that I can do is receive his gift and keep my covenants to walk faithfully in that relationship with him. Accept that gift of salvation and set out to be obedient, to keep the promise and the commitments that I've made to God. So the author goes on to say, uh, the death of his faithful ones is valuable in the sight of the Lord. Lord, I indeed am your servant. I am the, your servant, the son of your female servants. You have loosened my bonds. That verse 15 seems a little bit out of place. That's a, a verse that I've used in funerals before. In other translations in the New King James Version, that is translated precious. The, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints means the same thing here. It's just worded a little bit differently in the CSB. What's he talking about there? Here's one of the, the cool things about this passage. The psalmist knows that he's not always going to just receive positive gifts from God. Let's put it that way. One of these days, like other saints, like other followers of Christ who have faithfully served the Lord, he's going to pass from this earth. He's going to die. And he says here, those who have received the cup of salvation... I've received the cup of salvation. He's reminded that precious in the, the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The death of his faithful ones are valuable in God's sight. Why is that? Why is it that God would, would see our death as something that is valuable in his sight? It's because we get to come home and be with him. 
We're no longer constrained by our sin. We're no longer caught up in the battles that we're caught up with on earth. We rarely think of it in those terms. But the psalmist, in the midst of this psalm of thanksgiving, specifically thanksgiving for God's deliverance, he pauses and he says basically this, even when I die, it's going to be a great day. Even when I die, that day is going to be a great day. The Lord is even going to celebrate that day. That day is is a good day in the Lord's sight because he's brought one of his home. What an incredible joy that we have from this point out. The worst thing that could happen to us, right, is that we die. Well, then we get to go be with the Lord. If you have accepted that cup, that gift of salvation, we can rejoice in everything that we face from here on out. That's why Paul tells the Philippian church to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Because we truly can rejoice always. We can give thanks in all things. We may not give thanks for all things. There are some things that I'm not happy have happened in my life. But we can give thanks in all things because no matter where we are, what circumstance we're in, we have been delivered by the blood of Christ and we have a future and a hope and we have something to be thankful for. And if we'll hold on to that, it'll change our perspective on each and every day of our life. And then the fourth stanza there in verse 17, he says, I will offer you a thanksgiving sacrifice. And here it is again. And call on the name of the Lord. You hear that over and over and over in this passage. As the psalmist looks back on the tough times he's been through, he looks, looks at the deliverance that the, the Lord has offered him, all of the times that God has provided for him, just like we want to do today, just like the Jews were asked to do every time that they partook of the, the Passover meal, they were asked to look back at how God had delivered them over and over and over and over and time and time again. Take time today as we celebrate the Eucharist together, together to give thanks for all of those things that God has done where he's delivered you because of his deliverance, because of his cup of salvation, you and I have eternal life. And even when we die, it's a celebration in heaven because we get to go be with the Lord. We have so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for that the, the psalmist ends with that stanza. As I call on the name of the Lord, the last half of verse 17, he says, I'm going to do it with offering you a thanksgiving sacrifice. I want to make sure that I give thanks to you because you're the one who has delivered me. You're my hope. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory honor and praise.